0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program is brought to you by Michter's Distillery. Visit michters.com to find out how their taste is everything, cost be damned, attitude is creating some of the finest whiskeys available. Hey, what's up? This is Jack Inslee, host of Full Service Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this show, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
2: Good morning, you're listening to In The Drink on heritageradionetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli. And when I'm not hosting In The Drink, you can find me at one of our restaurants, Del Anima, Lartuzzi, La Piccio... Or Anfora, and uh, for this summer only, um, we are going to be at Alta at the Highline Hotel on 20th between uh, or 10th Avenue between 20th and 21st. Um, I've been spending a lot of time there. It's a beautiful outdoor garden. Come visit and drink a frozen Negroni. Uh, if you like this show, um, you can listen to it again, or you can listen to any past episodes on uh, www.heritageradionetwork.org. Or, even better, subscribe on iTunes and you can get all of the new episodes as they come out. Um, All right, I am excited today because I have someone in studio who I am super fond of, uh, someone I've known for quite a few years. And one of the people who I think is just uh, one of the nicest, most, uh, just like the sweetest uh, person in the wine industry, um, who I always love tasting wine with and hanging out with. Uh, she's a friend of mine. Um, she is the head sommelier at one of the coolest new restaurants that's opened up downtown. A really unique concept called the Chef's Club by Food and Wine. Her name is Jerusha Frost. Welcome to In the Drink.
3: Thanks for having me, Jelly. (laughs) Uh,
2: Can you tell us, because it's the the restaurant I've been a couple of times now, and I really love it, but it's a unique concept. It's not really like any restaurant I've ever been to. You get this opportunity to work with all these super talented chefs, but how how does that actually work?
3: So we are partnered with Food & Wine Magazine, and every year we choose four chefs from their pool of best new chefs of the year. So they've voted several chefs every year to be America's best new chefs and we take four of them, we consult with them, they come out to the restaurant they work with the chefs in the kitchen and we serve dishes of theirs that they're serving at their restaurants around the country and change them seasonally so they're not in the restaurant every night uh, they do come out and hang out in the kitchen sometimes or do a tasting menu in our studio Um so that's, that's the concept. We want people to be able to try these dishes and understand these chefs who are making waves in cities around the country.
2: Yeah, so you read about these chefs in Food & Wine magazine right. that they profile, and you're like, I don't know when the next time I'll be in Omaha or South Carolina or, or somewhere. And it's amazing, truly, that all of these, you know... They're fantastic restaurants in uh, so many places around the around the country. It's yeah. not really like New York, Chicago, San Francisco anymore. It's everywhere.
3: It's Portland, Oregon. It's Atlanta. So many chefs in Texas, Austin, Houston, Dallas, um, Nashville. I mean, there are people doing amazing food around the country, and it's great to show people in New York that you know. I think we we have so many great chefs here, but we forget that there are people around the country doing innovative things as well. Um, and not just that, it's great for people traveling here and tourists to be able to try food from around America.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And so how does it work with the beverage program? Because I know that there's already just so much that goes into even running a beverage program on a day-to-day basis, but then having to alter it to the the cuisine of, uh, of a new stress. How, how do you kind of wrap your head around that?
3: So the wine list is meant to, and I've, I'll, I'll tell you, I've learned more than ever how important food and wine pairing is from working here. Before, I mean, it's it's always important, but I, I used to tell people, oh, just drink what you like and, and eat what you want. But I've really, really learned how a wine that you wouldn't necessarily gravitate to can be something you would love based on what you're eating. Mm-hmm. And it can make the food better. And, the, and I mean, this is obvious. It's sort of the job description of the sommelier. Uh, but I've I've learned from the tasting menus that we've done in our studio. So the other part of the concept is that we bring in, we invite chefs from around the country and around the world to come and do tasting menus in our private dining room. And these are one or two nights, 20 roughly 20 people a night. Uh, We did have Paul Key from Austin up, and we did two seatings. So we did 20 in the first seating, and 24, the demand was so high for him, and I'll tell you after seeing him, I absolutely understand. It was one of the most amazing things I've seen done in the studio. They set up a sushi bar in the middle. They were just slicing fish and seasoning each bite for each guest. Um, Really, really great. So I will do pairings or bring in wines for those studio dinners and those wines are not necessarily on the menu. They end up on the menu. You know, if I bring in six bottles and we only open four, uh, they end up on the menu and it means that there's, I have so much to work with. So many wines that I would not necessarily bring in because they're too esoteric or, you know, the price point isn't right, but I'll have those two bottles and there will be someone that that Bottle mm-hmm. matches Now,
2: has there, have there been any surprising wines Or surprising pairings where you're like I never would have brought that wine in But, you know, I think it would be Maybe good with this particular dish That the chef is doing Or the chef might have it at their restaurant And they're they requesting it Or any anything like that
3: The best example I have for that Is Ben sukel from Birch So he I usually call the wine director Or the head som at the restaurant And I tell them after I've received the menu, I draft up some ideas and then I call them. I'm like, Hey, you know, this is what I'm thinking. Do you know these dishes? Do you have wines that you serve already that work with them? What, what do you think? And I try to have a, a conversation and I learn so much and I've been introduced to so many different wines, just producers that I wouldn't know necessarily because they're in portfolios that I don't work with, or I've just never thought of them. So Ben, he, he kind of had a, a wine that he wanted to serve with each dish. And I was like, great. I'm so excited to try these. And two examples of wines I was excited by was the Morpheus. It's a sparkling, a pet nap from Maine. And Hidden Bench, uh, a Sauvignon Blanc Sémillon blend from Canada. And we've kept the Hidden Bench on. We keep reordering it. It's rich. It's full. It's a little toasty, yeah. but it's got great acidity. And it goes so well with our food, and it went so well with his food. Um, well, that's very cool. I mean, before
2: today, I had no idea that there was even any wine made in Maine. Even though I went there only two weeks ago with my girlfriend Alyssa, and I actually, you know, I want to give a shout out to Michael Harlan Turkle, who is uh, who left me a copy of this great book, uh, "Real Maine Food." Um, by ben conoff and luke holden of luke's lobster it's 100 plates from fishermen farmers pie champs and clam shacks um all of these great recipes from maine i saw that he's going to have these guys on uh on there on his radio show so uh check out michael Harlan turkle um and real maine food but uh maine wine i was there and uh, i tried very hard to drink wine as much as i could but i didn't see anything from maine
3: it's still growing. I know of, so I know I've learned of this, uh, this producer oyster park and there's another, there's another winery, if you can call it that, that I stopped at when I was in bar Harbor two summers ago and they import juice from Italy. So it's technically not main wine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I think around the country people are making wine in every state and, it's still a learning process for most people, but I think that it's going, I think it's getting somewhere quickly. Yeah. And I think the more we support it, I think the quicker it'll develop and the better the wine will be. And it's, it's just like buying a farm chair. I say this all the time that supporting local wine is like supporting your local farmers and it keeps the American countryside beautiful and sustainable.
2: You know, I, I absolutely, uh, totally agree with that as long as people are making good wine. Locally, right. right?
3: <laughs> it's true. It's, that's very true. There's not, there's a lot of bad wine, but again, there, I think encouraging people who are, are doing good stuff is, it's a good way to go. Yeah.
2: Speaking of people doing good stuff and no, this isn't your Purview, or this is what you oversee. But I think the cocktails at, oh God, so good. are so good they're at Chef's Club. they so love, good. Um, yeah, that's just outstanding. If you, so, if you go start off with a cocktail and then get some Jewish wine.
3: Yeah, that's Anthony Bollinger. He is, he's from New Jersey. He was out in, at Chef's Club in Aspen and they brought him out to do the cocktail program here. And I, I love cocktails. I, I didn't drink them until I came back from London, but I, that's. I always want to start with a cocktail now, and Anthony makes the best cocktails. They're so thoughtful. They're so diverse. Um, I'm really glad that you mentioned that. Yeah. Yeah, they're freaking awesome. And the brunch cocktails are fantastic. Yeah. He does several different bloody marys. So. Also
2: tell us about the relationship with food and wine. How does that work? Is it just strictly, you know, once a quarter or the the chefs come out uh, or is there actually more relationship with the magazine? Like how often do you see editors from food and wine dining there? They
3: come in regularly there. I, you know, Kate Crater comes in, you know, Dana Cohen comes in. The girls in the sales and marketing team come in They're They're there regularly. And I. I love seeing them. I love everyone that works there, and its it feels great to have them in. You know, Megan Kriegbaum comes in sometimes, so does Ray Isle, and it's i really enjoy talking with them
2: we're big megan uh fans yes the, <laughs> me too and ray as well we've had, we've had them both on, <laughs> on the show um uh well that's very cool so that's it's like it kind of like a clubhouse for food and wine exactly people uh like i said i love it you guys should definitely check it out um so you mentioned your time in london Mm-hmm. Um, and you were working with Danielle Balloud in London
3: No, I was no. I was with the Lion Guys so. You were with the Lion mm-hmm. Guys,
2: oh that's right, so you are Balloud in New York
3: Yeah, when I came back, um, Eduardo Porto Carrera had left his position as a SOM at Balloud Suit and Bar Balloud And had gone down to DBGB, and we're pretty good friends And he knew I was coming back, and told me I should jump on that And I had the best year ever it, it was a horrible commute. I live here in Williamsburg, and going up to Lincoln Center every day and coming back every night was challenging. But it was... Wow. I've never worked with people I love being around more. I i had so much fun. Uh, I learned so much from Michael Madrigal. I i had no idea that I was going to learn so much. and And not just about wine, but just about about running a wine program. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. really, he does such a fantastic job up there.
2: That that seems to be the consensus about that guy. I'm, that I'm waiting for someone to say something negative. I haven't heard it yet in all the years. He's, he's just a man, huh?
3: Yeah. It, it, I mean, honestly, <laughs> like I... It, Chef's Club is a great opportunity, but I miss working with him every day.
2: You miss him? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, It's it's pretty outstanding. And the kinds of wines that were open there on a regular basis are... Outstanding. I mean, I, I drool over Michael's Instagram.
3: I had, I I tasted things I would never have access to anywhere else. A- absolutely. Like yeah. my, I, I have an opinion on gentas, which is you know very hard to come by.
2: Yeah, I would say almost any sommelier who you know, even if you want to work in a more casual place at some point in the future, work at a place like that where you get to try outstanding wines and you have these great benchmarks.
3: And work with someone who has tasted so much more than you and knows more than you and can, can teach you, you know, there's so much to learn. I still have so much to learn. I learn, you know, I'm lucky that I work with chef Didier Elena now who has an incredible seller and has been working for, he had worked for Alain Ducasse for years and has tasted more wine than I've ever tasted. And I, I, I learn from him every single day. So even though I'm buying the wine at chef's club, I still have someone who's kind of teaching me, which that's is really great.
2: Cool. Uh, do you find that there is uh, a geographical difference between uptown and downtown as a, uh, when it pertains to like what people are actually drinking?
3: Oh, that's a really good question. Or is
2: it more just the type of restaurant? I think that it's a type of restaurant.
3: Mm-hmm. I think that, I think it's a type of restaurant. I think it's how you how you manage your program and how you are on the floor. Because I feel like I felt like I could sell any kind of wine at, up at Barbelut and Belut Suit and I feel the same way down um, at Chef's Club. But I I didn't necessarily feel that way when I was at the line in the West Village, and I I think that it's you know what are what is the restaurant and. What kind of people and what kind of experiences are they wanting to have at that restaurant? Yeah, yeah. I sold more de- dessert wines by the glass, or I served more dessert wines by the glass in the first month that we've op- that we were open than I'd ever served before at the chef's club. Yeah, that's, people that's were fascinating so excited to about me because
2: it. we can't sell dessert wine; we have to give it away. Like we just can't. It's it, it's just completely stopped.
3: I we I mean it's. I think that the quantity has decreased a little the busier that we got, but mm-hmm. when we first opened, we were a little slower, and we had the servers were really into giving people the full experience people wanted the full experience mm-hmm. they were coming to Chef's Club by food and wine to have a food and wine experience yes, and yes. I think that people are still coming in for that and and I think the servers we have are really they're they're really very good they you know they they try you know they when you Prompt them to recommend things they, for the most part, remember. You know, once it gets busy, sometimes they forget or it's not enough time to talk about the dessert wine. But they, they talk about it, they mention it, and oh, it's great. It's great to sell dessert wine and to serve it.
2: It is. I think some Now that these are becoming some of the more underappreciated mm-hmm. wines because uh, lots of complexity, um, yeah. somewhat of a good value, and uh, I, I like them. I, I don't know. Um, all right. We're going to take a quick break on that note. We're going to be back with more of Jerusalem Frost from Chef's Club by Food & Wine, New York.
0: I'm Harold McGee. HeritageRadioNetwork.org is a nonprofit organization, which means they depend on the support of listeners like you and like me. The best way you can support this program and others like it is to visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org, as I have, and click the Donate button to become a member today, as I have. Thanks for listening, and thanks
1: for your support. Michter's Distillery is a proud sponsor of InTheDrink and HeritageRadioNetwork.org. At Michter's, our passion is making the finest whiskeys possible. When you only make small batch and single barrel whiskeys like Michter's does, your whiskey has to be perfect. No detail is too small, from careful attention to the wood used in the construction of our barrels to lower barrel entry proof before heat-cycled aging in advance of exacting chill filtration. And no whiskey gets bottled until Michter's master distiller says it's just right. Michter's Cosby Dam Taste is Everything attitude is apparent in every sip of its smooth, rich whiskeys. Is it worth it? A lot of spirits lovers seem to think so. Food & Wine magazine called Michter's the best American whiskey. Bon Appetit said, it's amazing. And the Wall Street Journal had one special word for Michter's. Phenomenal. For more information, visit mictors.com or simply visit your favorite bartender or retailer and ask for Michter's. All right, we are back with Jerusha
2: Frost of Chef's, Chef's Club uh, by Food & Wine New York, um, here in the studio with us today, um, Jerusha. Now you spent some time in Europe, specifically in London. Mm-hmm. Um, you said working with uh, the team from the Lion. I'd love to hear what the drinking scene is over there. Um, what, what did you experience as someone who was serving drinks? What were people asking for? And then as someone who loves. Uh, eating and drinking, what like what? What could you find that was unique um, over there?
3: So I mentioned earlier that I didn't drink cocktails before I went to London. I just, I just didn't. I thought they were too sweet. There was too much sugar. Too, whatever. I just only wanted to drink wine. I went to London, and their cocktail culture is amazing. Um, they there are so many great cocktail bars. It might have also been influenced by my. a good friend of mine who lived there who doesn't drink beer and doesn't drink wine and only wants to drink cocktails. And since she was the person I was hanging out with the most, I was always going to cocktail bars with her. Um, Really creative. Um, So yeah, people do go to cocktail bars, uh, but in general guys will go out and drink pints after work. Uh, They drink champagne. People want to drink champagne. It is, the best place for an American to go and drink champagne because the markup is so low. Uh, I know that w- the restaurant we were at, I had priced the champagne kind of in line with New York pricing and the restaurant group that we partnered with was like, oh no, you c- absolutely can't do that. They're like, you just have to, I mean, you basically give it away. Wow. And it's true. Like, can, And can you find
2: the kind of cool champagnes that we're getting excited about here in New York? Yes.
3: Absolutely, they. Uh, you have to go to Soho and and East London to find that. Um, and you have to go to the to the right places. There's um, there's a great place called Bubble Dogs, which is it, oh, it's so great. They serve <laughs> champagne and hot dogs, and then in the back they have a tasting table. So it's twelve seats, and they do I think two turns a night. But it's like ten courses, small plates, and really fantastic food. Great experience, but they have great champagnes. Out front and on the regular list, um,
2: and it's it's fair to say it's completely like outdated to say that London doesn't have great food, right? London has outstanding food.
3: London has fantastic food, but you have got to be in the right places. Mm. Chelsea has horrible food uh, in general. It was that that's where the restaurant we opened was located, and I spent a month eating around and just sort of wasting money because <laughs> I didn't want to. Eat anything that I bought. I mean, there are a handful of of decent places there, um, but it's yeah. I, Soho, East London, absolutely, yeah. uh, really fantastic food. Wow! And the best dairy ever. I mean, butter that is so good, you don't need bread. I I know that sounds weird, but like I I bought this Cornish <laughs> butter that was so grassy and flavorful that you know you could just scrape a little bit off. It was so yeah.
2: good. Wow. Okay, and so I've heard through the grapevine that you have a newfound love for Bordeaux wine. Has this come from your time in London? It's a almost cliche that the Brits love claret.
3: It's true. And Barry Brothers bottles a very nice claret. I think it's actually uh, produced for them by Chateau Clinet. Uh, they they make a claret for them but no that started i had a guy who last two summers ago asked me to help fill his cellar with bordeaux and he he's like i like australian shiraz and big california cabs and i want to learn about bordeaux and i would go over and he gave me a, a budget i'd buy great bordeaux and we'd go and we'd taste them and we'd talk about the region and compare these great wines from the different villages and they were all made not all of them but most of them were made in a more voluptuous round full-bodied style and it was so great for me to do that like I'd never taken the time to learn about bordeaux or really pay attention to it and because he wanted me to teach him about it i really i really went deep i Bought this book on Bordeaux, and you know you read about it. And I learned that the wines that I like generally have a higher percentage of Cabernet Franc. Mm. So the chateaus that have more on their property and in riper vintages are able to blend in more Cabernet Franc are fantastic. So Chateau Kirwan is one of them. And you know I hadn't I hadn't really paid attention to it before, and I love this wine. It's a pretty good value, and in vintages like two thousand and ten the Cab Franc is ripe and floral and, and spicy and beautiful. And it's got great acidity. It's
2: yeah, it gives it, yeah. it kind of gives the blend more brightness to mm-hmm. it, lifts it all up. Absolutely. A herbaceous and more complexity in the non fruit realm.
3: Yeah. So, and I, cool. I've been You're a
2: brave New York Sommelier to, oh, uh, I to love admit it. it. <laughs> oh,
3: I, and, and there's another one that my friend Carson Demond introduced me to the, uh, Claude Puyarnot from Côte de Castillon and it's a, he's a biodynamic producer. They make a more simple vin de table, which is very natural and mm-hmm. it's okay but I really love the Grand Vin. The Grand Vin is fresh and bright and it's totally Bordeaux. You know that it's Cab Franc, you know it's Merlot. It's it's certainly Bordeaux but it has this juiciness that I, I love recommending it with our food because it's you know, it's a big wine, It's, but it's not a massive wine, and it's, it highlights so much. There's great fruit. It's, if I were to go into Chef's Club tonight, I probably... I'm. You know, there are so many wines I'd like to drink, but it's one of the wines that I would wow. consider having.
2: Uh, and a great value, that wine. Yeah. Um, I know it well because uh, Dave Foss is the uh, person who buys wine at Anfora, and Dave. he uh, he's... Just an outstanding human being He um, is not Or was not a Bordeaux fan I think until tasting that one That was one of the early wines that he brought on Over at Anfora and uh, it's and the gateway it. wine. It, it mm-hmm. really is. I mean, to find that kind of real, you know, naturally like well-made wine where they care for the earth and it's mm-hmm. expressive and it's a good value and it's everything that we love about wine. Oh yeah, and it just happens to be from Bordeaux. Yeah, um, it makes you cool. want
3: to try other Bordeaux. And I just came back from from a week there that I haven't. I mean, I ha- I can't remember the last time I daydreamed about something. And I came back from Bordeaux, and I. I was I caught myself daydreaming about being there and fantasizing about a chateau and and riding bikes along the river and I I'm so absolutely kind of silly sillyly in love with Bordeaux right wow. now.
2: Other than the you know your your love for the region how beautiful it is, how much you're daydreaming about it what what was the most surprising thing that you took away from your trip there?
3: How So I was very surprised by how many people are experimenting with organic and biodynamic viticulture. Um, so Ponte Kane, I think everyone knows he is, you know, almost religiously biodynamic and, uh, you know, on this one end of the spectrum where he's, he's all, it's all about energy and very kind of spiritual, and and I think that he's making great wine. And I think that there are other people. Whether it's they've latched onto the marketing term of biodynamics, and they're like, okay, we'll experiment with this, um, and and see what it, see what happens with it. I know that uh, Chateau Palmer is also working mm-hmm. biodynamically, and and not in a, like this religious dogmatic way, but in, in like it works great. And the land is healthy and the wine is great. So, so not only these like it.
2: small kind of obscure producers, mm-hmm. but what? like more kind of important ones that have an exactly. international. So
3: Chateau Palmer, uh, Latour experimenting with, with different plots and, and, you know, really wonderful, wonderful people. Everyone was so gracious and wonderful. Um, but so yeah, a lot of people working organically and biodynamically and experimenting with it so that that was encouraging i don't know if encouraging is the right way to talk about it but it was i wasn't expecting that at all especially from such large chateau
2: very cool we obviously love that here at at heritage uh to, to hear that sort of thing and i think it's especially important in a region like bordeaux where you have so many vineyards so close to each other yeah. that if you are just doing the best thing by yourself in your one vineyard, you're probably surrounded by three or four other vineyards that, that aren't so hearing that so many people are embracing it, I think elevates the entire region together.
3: Exactly. I I mean, I'll be honest, I was like, I don't know if I should drink the tap water. I don't know like what leaches into the the soil. And I was, you know, I, I definitely only drink bottled water just cuz mm-hmm. I'm I guess weird about that, but <laughs> yeah, I mean in,
2: in an agricultural area or so. Yeah. I yeah. don't know. Um, Drew, I, I wanted uh, to you. finish up with you telling us about the, uh, what you have going on now. Who's the chef at chef's club and, uh, what, what we should be looking forward to for the future.
3: Well, we have actually this week and tonight and tomorrow we have chef Matt Acarino from SBQR. Whoa.
2: San that's Francisco. huge. It's,
3: he is so, cool. He is amazing. His food is fantastic. I got to talk with Shelly Lindgren about the wine pairing which was great for me. I mean she's so amazing. She's and, amazing. And to have and her the, on the phone with me was yeah.
2: James Beard award winning best uh, wine service in the country. Yeah. Right. And yeah. Uh, I mean you can't say enough good things about Shelly.
3: Yeah. So so you know we, were, we talked about the wines for that. He's there this week. Um, we have a uh, Esban Bang from Sweden coming next week for one night. Um, well, we have Paulo Casagrande coming I, in the at the beginning of he. Um, uh, what is who did he work with? He he's in Spain now. I'm trying to think who he worked with in San Sebastian, but fantastic guy. Um, so many, so many good, so chefs. many I,
2: exciting things. Is yeah. there like a calendar of events on the website? Can you just like look it up?
3: We, What's the best we way to not do it? everyone is listed on there. We kind of yeah. do it like a month or so out. Uh, so there are people coming this fall that I'm that we've got booked, but but are not up on the website yet. Wow! Um, but yes, you can definitely go to the website right. and see and book. You have to call to make those reservations. You can't just booking the dining room doesn't. Um, it's a different, you know, it's a different booking structure. So you have to call the restaurant to book one of the chef dinners.
2: Well, that's really exciting. I will for sure uh, be back and really encourage everyone to, you know, to check it out. It's such a good restaurant. And how cool that you're bringing people from like Sweden and Spain yeah. and yeah. San Francisco. That is actually,
3: you know, that is Aaron Arispe who used to work here at Roberta's. So he's uh. our chef liaison and he's a, he does a fantastic job
2: awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jerusha. Thank
3: you for having me. It's
2: been such a pleasure to have you on the show. You're awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, I also want to thank uh, Jory Morales, uh, who is the show's producer, but also our new assistant general manager at Lartuzzi. Oh my God, Jory, congratulations. Uh, And the engineer for uh, this show and the last one. I messed up the last one. I'm sorry, but Liz Smith, you are an awesome engineer. Thank you so much. Um, Today's uh, music break was provided by Mamarazzi, they were awesome. I like that. And uh, as always, uh, Renny Lopez has the, uh, the theme song of the show, uh, Johnny Wants to Be a Matador. Um, also, thank you guys so much for, for tuning in. Uh, please tell your friends to subscribe to the show on iTunes and always get in touch with us at org. Next up, we have a teaser clip of Danny Bowen of Mission Chinese Food, which is awesome. That new Mission Chinese is like is absolutely killer. Uh, take uh, Talking the intersection of food and family on Eat Your Words, which is another great show found right here on Heritage Radio Network. Thank you, guys. Have a great day week you know we weren't the most well-off
4: family growing up so we we always ate at home we didn't go out to restaurants that often
1: acclaimed chef danny Bowien of mission chinese has fond memories of food and family
4: and and my mom cooked, you know like breakfast lunch and dinner and yeah. i was just so fascinated i'd always stand in the kitchen and cook with my mom which is um It was amazing you know it was like really cool uh it was a good time that we always spend that time together and i think that's what really inspired me to to want to cook and and it was cool because for that you know hour and a half that we ate or hour that we ate every night you know the whole family was there and my dad was there and he worked, so I got to see him and talk to him. So it was cool. I thought, I always thought that like cooking and bringing people together, uh, being able to hang out with your friends or your family is, is really important. I think that was one of the major reasons that I wanted to cook. I didn't know that once I started cooking, I would never see my family or friends because I'd be cooking all the time. But, mm-hmm. um, but you know, it's, uh, you, you see them when they come to the restaurant.
1: You're fostering
2: friendship and family for other people, right, I right, guess. Right, in right. Good times.
1: Yeah. This was an excerpt of episode 100 of Eat Your Words, hosted by Kathy Irway. All episodes available on org and iTunes. This piece was brought to you by escapemaker.com. Visit a farm, escape through the net, escapemaker.com. Thanks for listening to this program on org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network.